Welcome to Vito 101, episode 23, Bordeaux. Welcome, wine lovers. I'm Bill. Hello, everybody. It's Al. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about Bordeaux today. Love the Bordeaux, man. Yeah. Getting into it. Yeah. So it, if you, it, I'm sure you've noticed that we've named this thing Bordeaux 101. And the reason, the reason that we, we use the 101 here is that Bordeaux is a pretty complex um, a complex word in terms of what it encompasses with regard to wine. It's also the name of the region where the wine's from in France, um, typically centered in the area of Bordeaux. And it uh, um, the, the region is actually uh, means something in France. It's actually a structure of government. Uh, there's three tiers of government below the national government, France, the second largest being the region, and that's sort of where Bordeaux, Bordeaux comes from. And wine actually plays a big part into all this, and we'll get into that um, in a minute. So to kind of start things off, just a little bit about sort of Bordeaux and the um, you know the region. So it's actually France's largest vineyard area, 300,000 acres, so um, it's about 468 square miles. Um, they produce about 700 million bottles, so that's about 54 million cases annually. Um, and um, from 54 different appellations with 8,500 producers. So it's a big area. That's a big area. That's a lot of uh, wineries. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, and a little bit, I'm going to go kind of quickly here because some of the some of stuff's kind of interesting. So it was actually first produced, um, it was brought by the Romans in the mid-first century. So it's been produced in this region for quite a long time. Um, uh, the, uh, the area was actually decimated by Veloxra in the uh, late 1800s, so 1875, 1892. Um, and there's a funny story here. It turns out that I believe some Americans actually brought some, or brought someone brought American vines. They had phylloxera. They decimated um, uh, the wines that were the the, the, vin, uh, the vines that were there, and the area was uh, survived by cloning the existing vines onto American rootstock. So American vines caused a problem, and then rescued the problems, and all um, uh, you know, all contemporary Bordeaux wines. Um, are truly American wines, you know, because the vines that survive to this day are still from that sort of root, that graft from the American rootstock. So it's not to say that they're American wines, uh, I should say, but, uh, you know, the rootstock doesn't affect the production of the grapes. But, you know, interesting sort of, um, you know, kind of tie up there, you know, century ago, what, two centuries ago? century ago, um, in terms of sort of the American connection. So let's dive into a little bit about sort of what Bordeaux means in terms of the grapes and the region and kind of start getting a little technical here. Okay, we'll try not to get too technical, but <laughs> let's, we're definitely going to focus on the left bank. And I'm sure some people, some of you may have heard of the term left bank. And so what does that refer to? So there's, there's, a, some ri- there's a river and an estuary that kind of flows through the region. So the Bordeaux region is in the in the southwestern portion of France, um, close to the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, and, and, and left bank really is it's trade jargon. Right. For for an area in Bordeaux. And it's where all of the eighteen fifty five classified gross are located. Right. And we'll talk about that eighteen fifty five classification a little bit later on, but it is a big deal with regards to the monies that these wines actually fetch on the open market. Right. Uh, we should talk about the term, before we get too far, we should talk about claret. Yeah, so claret, um, so what I read is that claret is really just, uh, um, is, is the British word for Bordeaux. Um, it's what the, uh, and it usually, um, it, associated with being folks in the UK who were from the upper class. They drank claret, they drank the, you know, the the best produced wines. It was sort of royalty, you know, got the first growth and the, you know, the highest classification wines. Um, you know, the French and the British for <laughs> centuries were duking it out over all kinds of stuff. Oh, so in, true. In, including wine. Um, I read that during the Hundred Years War, there was like wine production stopped. They like battled each other for a hundred years, and then they started making wine and trading again. 
So I was also reminded um, when I was in the UK that, you know, the IRS is actually a blueprint of the British tax service, who at one time said that any good coming in and out of Europe was going to be taxed because the British Navy was the largest navy. So they uh, hammered the British are best masters. And in true world domination style, they decided to rename an entire uh, you know, industry of wine and make it their own. We're not going to call it Bordeaux, some French word. We're going to use another French word called Claret awesome. and make it our own. So awesome. Yeah. So Claret and Bordeaux are pretty interchangeable in terms of sort of trying to describe um, red wine. And, of course, you know, specifically Bordeaux wine, um, you know, from this region. And the higher – what I read is sort of the higher um, quality wines um, are, are typically labeled Claret. Well said, man. Well said. So tell us, what are the uh, permitted grape varieties? Yeah, so there are. So you know, one thing that's really interesting about the French is that they re- they heavily regulate their wine in terms of of uh, where it, you know where it comes from, what the composition of the wine is, how it's made, how it's bottled, what's on the label. It's very strict, much stricter than sort of the United States. And unlike uh, the United States, at least from you know what I can see right now, the French drink a lot of blended wine, whereas we we in America typically drink drink single varietal wine, so Pinot Noir, Cabernet Sauvignon, um, you know those types of things. Bordeaux wines are typically made from this uh, these permitted grapes, and the permitted grapes are Cabernet Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, Petit Verdot, Malbec, and Carmenere. Um, today, Malbec and Carmenere are rarely used. There's there's a a chateau called this is sort of trivia uh, Chateau Clarec Milan. It's a fifth growth Bordeaux, being one of the few to still add Carmenere uh, wine and vines to. What their was the wine. name of that chateau again? Chateau Clarec Milan. Oh, Clarec Milan. Okay. Clarec Milan. And the um, by area in the Bordeaux vineyards. Uh, looks about 62% by area of Merlot, uh, 25% Sauvignon, Cabernet Sauvignon, 12% Cabernet Franc, Petit Verdot, Malbec, and Carmenere are about 1% total. Uh, it's interesting to note that Merlot is the dominant grape in right. Bordeaux. Right. And it's interesting. I, uh, well, we'll talk about that later. I recently had an, uh, um, an American blend that had a, a similar sort of Bordeaux mix Heavy on Merlot can pick it up. You can pick it up right away. Yeah, Merlot can be. It's yeah. got more. It's a little bit more plush. It's very, um, and it can get a little softer. Yeah, and you can get fruit forward with it. So this blend was very much in the American palate that it was a little bit more for, fruit forward than the Bordeaux that I had. But more, more on that later. The other interesting thing to remember about this region too is it does not. It, it's known for its reds, but it also produces white, white wines. Um, Sauternes, even some sparklers, and of course white Bordeaux. Yeah, the Sautern and Sautern. Um, the other um, wines. We're gonna, we're not gonna focus on them for this podcast, but we'll catch them next time around. This is gonna be mainly just about dry red wines, dry dry red Bordeaux. So, so let's what, talk about the left bank. Well, uh, or okay. Do, or do, go ahead. Well, let's do gonna... one more thing. Let's talk about the soil because the soil is a big deal. It is, especially when you taste these wines, you'll kind of get an idea of how big the soil right. um, is, and it makes a really big impact on the wines. Uh, the makeup of well, let's just say the left bank. The left bank is the if you can if you can think of the area. It's in it's in southwest France, and you've got the main river, which is the, the Gironde. Yeah. That river is, is the bigger one. It's right. It flows out to the sea, and then it's split into two other rivers. And there's uh, a big estuary, too, that it comes out to the sea. So it gets to be, you know, big. It's yeah. big. So the, the, the river that cuts over and goes a little bit more towards the center is called the Dodonia. And all, the, all of the towns and the wine villages to the north of that are essentially called the right bank. And that's where you find most of uh, a predominantly Merlot with uh, Cabernet and Cap Franc taking a back seat. As you go out towards the sea, and you're, you're pointed out towards the sea, you look to the left as you're going up the Gironde, and that's called the left bank. And the left bank is, um, you have the main region, it's called Medoc, and it's spelled M-E-D-O-C. 
kind of sounds just like it's spelled actually, Medoc. And then a region within that region is called the Omedoc. And the Omedoc, it's, we're going to help with these pronunciations. It's kind of help people out. Because one of the things about French wine labels, when you walk into it, well, it's in French. Right. So, you know, that kind of makes people a little bit, uh, you know, edgy and a little apprehensive. So we're going to try to definitely, with this podcast, just kind of mention some of the words and tell, tell people how they're said. And then that way, we'll cut down on the fear factor right. when you're looking at those labels. And there is a lot of information about what's in the bottle and where it's from on the labels. Yeah, so if you, and, and one case in point is if you see uh, Doc on the label, H-A-U-T uh, hyphen M-E-D-O-C. If you see that on the label, that's your biggest clue that it's, if it's a red wine, it's your biggest clue that it's going to be predominantly Cabernet. Yeah, so that was... And then it's going to be cut with a little Cabernet Franc and a little bit of Merlot and maybe some Petit Verdot. And that's... So you can kind of, just by seeing that one thing on the label, it can tell you the style of the wine. Right. And, and you, you, you know, you'll know Cabernet. We probably had Cabernet, have a pretty good idea what it is in Merlot, so you can kind of get an idea sort of what that is going to taste like a little bit or what it should taste like. Yeah. Yeah. So I read that the sort of typical profile is about 70% Cabernet, 15% or Cabernet Sauvignon, 15% Cabernet Franc, 15% Merlot. And, of course, I'm sure there's – you know, some very obviously there's tons of variation, you know, based on what the producer is. Um, in, in terms of how they make the wine, too, that that matters because the 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 um, uh, the winemaker actually has a fair amount of leeway once he you know once he gets his grapes in uh, 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 about being able to uh, tweak the wine in terms of how you know it's aged. It can be all blended together and then aged, you know, in a barrel, um, you know, as a as a blend. It could be aged separately as sort of, you know, the Cabernet's, you know, aged, the Cabernet Franc's, Franc is aged, etc., and then blended. So, you know, they can really try to keep the consistency of the winery, which they call the Chateau, um, you know, to their style. Yep. And a lot of these, these Chateaus have been around for a long time, hundreds of years. Yeah, they've been, they've been doing it. They know what they're doing. Yeah. They know what they're doing. So the makeup of the soil is, and this is interesting, it's it's gravel on the left hand. <laughs> it's just, it's you, gravel. You can taste it in the glass. It's gravel and it's a little bit of chalk yeah, and it's a little bit of clay. Yeah. But when you look at it, if you look at pictures of the vineyards, you just see these sticks in the ground and just a bunch of gravel everywhere. And this area of the left bank was essentially a marsh. It was marsh for years and years and they needed to uh, most of the wines uh, or the claret that came from France back in the day came from the area of Grave uh, spelled G-R-A-V-E-S and Grave's a little um, further up river or south I guess I should say it's just further south and they needed more vineyard area so um, the Dutch came in and they drained the marshes the Dutch East India Company, yeah. I believe, actually drained the marshes. Yeah, they drained the marshes, and um, they hey, look right. at all this land we got! Ramped up production, baby. So they they planted some vines, and that's where all of your great chateaus are actually located in that former marshland. So going from north to south on the left bank, um, the the major um, uh, appellations or communes are Santa Steph. Uh, Puyac, which is really big. Um, that's spelled P-A-U-I-L-L-A-C. It's pronounced Puyac. Saint-Julien, Listrac, Moulis, and that's spelled M-O-U-L-I-S, Margot, Pesac, Léonion, and Grave. And all of these areas have some famous chateaus in them, and most of them are within eyesight of the actual river. And it's been said in Bordeaux, if you can um, stand at the Chateau and you can see the river, that's typically good, the best properties. Yeah, good land. And so something else that's interesting that I'll mention, you mentioned the word commune. Commune. It, it's not commune in terms of the, in the sense of sort of like a, a you know, a group farm or a government-sponsored farm. A commune is actually a 
unit of the French government, or uh, it's part of, you can think of it sort of like a local government at the end of the day. I believe it's the lowest rank in sort of the three-tier government system in France. Um, yes, yeah, so it's department, it's national government, department, region, and then commune. Um, so, you know, and then think of these areas that he just, you know, that Al just mentioned in terms of commune, they're Appalachian. So, like the Dry Creek Valley or Carneros or, um, you know, uh, I was going to say the Russian River Valley. The, uh, uh, you know, and they, they, I don't know that they're as large as some of our uh, viticulture areas, but, uh, you know, you can go to these, you could go, you could probably take a trip to one of these communes and spend your entire trip there and visit a dozen or more chateaus. Yeah, you have to make an appointment. And how many are you going to... It's just like here in wine country. How many places can you really go to in a day? Yeah, well... You can only yeah. go to... I mean, yeah. unless you're super pro, even yeah. even then, you can only fit in four or five. Right, right. You know, and, and you wouldn't want... starting anybody, at 10 in the morning. Yeah, and you, know? you wouldn't want to if you travel to these places. They're very... Um, the pace is slower. Pace is a little slower. And, and, and you are, you are, um, are going to go probably to some... A chateau, somebody lives there. It's yes. someone's home. And... Uh, you, you know, you might be literally tasting in their kitchen or in their dining room. Yeah, and probably going to get an offered lunch. Yeah, there, it's, so. not a, it's not a taste uh, that my, uh, I had an experience there before. It was not going into a tasting room. No. It was literally in the foyer of someone's house at, like, their kitchen table. It was very different. So well, our next uh, topic should be vintage variation. And oh, the one thing I wanted. This. Well, the one thing I did want to mention that I thought was really interesting about these wines is that they're dry farmed, and that means there's no irrigation. So you know, it's not allowed. It's against the law. Um, I, you know, I was like, "What? How do they do that?" And you know, it rains there during the summer, unlike yes. unlike where I live. Yeah, unlike where we live here in California, it's a freak occurrence, right? It it actually, you know, they get pretty variable weather. In fact. Um, that's know. where vintage variation comes in. I mean, it's a big play. The, the weather is, I mean, it's right there in the water. Yeah. I mean, it's literally, it's, it's right on the water. Right so on get, the Atlantic ocean. So, so yeah, you're going to be getting some rain. You get some, you can get some crazy weather. In hail. Fact. Hail. I was just thinking hail, but nasty wind. You get it all, man. Yeah. Well, they are, they are insulated by a forest that's right there between, there is a little forest that kind of helps a little bit, but uh, still they get, they just get pummeled sometimes with the weather. The weather can be pretty bad. So it actually, you know, I I would say more so with French wines than American wines, the, the, the vintage really matters and can really make a huge difference in terms of probably pricing, um, as well as sort of, um, the quality of the wine. Two very well made points. Yes, both of those. Some of the best recent vintages would be um, 2010, 2009, 2005, 2003. Some good vintages are 2008, 2006, and 2004. And some lesser vintages that you might probably not, maybe don't want to, just depend on what you're looking for. If you're looking for a higher end wine, a top end wine, you might want to avoid these would be 2007. 2002 was a terrible year. Uh, 1997 and 93 and 92 were also pretty substandard years. And is there any is there any place that you go to on the internet or that you any resource that you use to kind of track these vintages or is this just sort of you know, it, that's a really good question. You, you know, before I, before I moved out here into California, I used to be big into Bordeaux because I, I worked for a wholesaler. And we housed a lot of the top roofs for um, for Southern Wines. Actually, we housed. Yeah. You know, so Southern Wines a big distrib- big yeah. wine distributor. Yeah, when they Huge. brought in their high end stuff, they didn't want to store it in their their regular main warehouse. And we had a nice temperature controlled warehouse, so we stored their stuff. So we had access to a lot of those wines, um, and so also you, access. I learned, you know, I really learned Bordeaux when I was with that company, and I kind of unlearned Bordeaux when I moved out here. Right. So, but there is a site to answer your question. It's, um, it's an English site and I don't have it. At the, you know what? We'll I'll put it, it we'll put it on the, we'll put it on the, uh, on the web, on the, uh, on the show notes or, you know, in the notes for this podcast and a write up, you know, one thing that I would say is that if you have a local wine shop, um, 
you know, you can gauge, you know, certainly you can search the internet and find these vintages that are out there and we'll put some resources there, but your local wine shop, if they're of, uh, of any quality, the, uh, the proprietor of that shop should know Bordeaux and at least at the, at the minimum should know what the good years were, um, you know, for Bordeaux. You know, one thing, one thing that I found with Bordeaux is you do really have to be an educated consumer when you go in to get these wines because the, the price variability can be, can be pretty amazing. And we're going to talk, we're going to give an example of that from one of the wines that we actually tasted, but it, uh, uh, it's worth doing, you know, if you want to start checking out Bordeaux, it's worth doing a little bit of research before you go try to buy. Yeah, you can't go in blind. Yeah. And, can't uh, go in blind. and the other thing to remember, too, about these wines is you do have to be careful about where you're buying the wine from. Good and, point. And, and the reason is, is this stuff gets shipped. And as we all know, you know, mm-hmm. sitting in a container, at, at, you know, so it's going to be 100 degrees where we're at today. It could be sitting in a warehouse that's 110 degrees and you know you plunk three hundred dollars down for that wine, and it's cooked. You're not going to be a happy camper. So just and of course that matters where you buy your wine. You know again, you know if you're going into a big box retailer, you're rolling the dice. If you've got a good proprietor that you know, you know you walk into their shop, the shop's temperature controlled. You know they're clearly passionate about wine. You might pay you know the thirty percent markup on retail, but you know you're probably going to get something of quality. So. Yeah. You know, you're going to get what you pay for. In other words, I don't know if you agree with that, but that's no, I just do something agree to with that. About. That's really a good point. It's uh, it's worth the it's worth the markup. Yeah, you know, you're less likely to be disappointed. That's for sure. And these wines are going to, if you're used to sort of single varietal um, um, American style wines, like I am, um, these wines are different. They're more com- they're more complex. They, they, you do need to treat them differently in terms of how you consume them. Decanting matters. We'll talk about decanting in a minute. Um, all, all these are, these are things that I've experienced with the wines. Um, and um, like a, most European wines that I've had, when you pair them with the foods that they're designed for, they're, they're mind-blowing. Yeah, good times on the palate, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, they the can be mind-blowing. Um, so should we talk a little bit about uh, stemware? And like what types of glasses you should. Well, before that, let's see. This this wine looks cloudy, Bill. What's going on here? What's all this junk in the bottom of my glass? <laughs> it's a little sediment. <laughs> it's a little sediment. So let's talk about. So let's talk a little bit about the winemaking itself. So when they one of the one of the most interesting things to me about Bordeaux is is that the winemakers allowed to add sugar, and they call it capitalization. So they can actually add sugar to their wines, which is a huge sin. Um, no pun intended, um, from uh, uh, from American winemaker standards. You can put sugar in our wines. It's, it's against the law. Yeah. So, you know, you can do that in France, which is really interesting. But we can't water them down. Right. Um, yeah. So they can add... They can add. Don't get me started. It's, it's just funny what the law allows them to do. And as we talked a little bit earlier, the winemaker, once they get there, so they, you know, they typically... You know, they because they're dry farmed. I think they pay a little bit more attention to sort of sorting, and and picking. So you know, destem, crush, fermented, stainless. They can add sugar, um, and then they can age it however they they'd like to. And what I mean by that is they can blend it, then age it. They can keep it all separable varietals, age it, and then blend it, and then bottle. So the winemaker actually does have quite a quite a lot of uh, leeway. In terms of making the wine, double faux pas there. I should have had my phone turned off. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. So uh, sediment. Yeah. So I, I just think sediment is literally is the mark of a fine wine because most of the wines that are on the market that people buy, you go to the grocery store, you go to your retailer, wherever. Most of those wines are meant to be consumed that night or next week, and most of them are consumed that night or next week. Wines that are designed for extended bottle aging will throw a sediment, and that's where your finer Bordeaux come in. So um, these, this sediment or this gunky-looking stuff at the bottom of the glass, it's really just a breakdown of the tannins, uh, the tartrates, and um, the phenolic compounds that are in the wine, and it just happens over time. The way, uh, the best way to handle it is when you have, an, like we tasted some older vintages. We were tasting wines from the 90s. Nice, yeah. 
is uh, you just stand the wine up. You stand it up uh, on the table in a nice, cool, dark area. And usually if you can stand it up for four or five days, that would be the optimum. Oh, let it settle. Let it settle out. Everything settle bottle. And then you have to decant the wine. And the way that you decant it is typically you just cut the whole foil off if you can. Just cut the whole foil off. And you just carefully uncork the bottle. And you want to tilt and you want to pour the bottle into a clean, another clean glass vessel. And, you know, I have, you know, they, there's all kinds there's all of decanters kinds of on in the market. But you could just use a big old mason jar. I was just about want. to say, it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, I mean decanters are out there. It's part of the, the dining and enhancing the experience to have a nice piece of cut crystal right there on the table holding your wine. Looks good, but to really to achieve the purpose, which is to pour out the clear wine, Without any sediment, you can use any vessel that you have. Right. I always make it, if you've ever um, poured a beer into a glass and try not to get head on the beer, where it's kind of tilted, the, the you know, your glass is tilted, mm-hmm. it's a, a similar process in terms of decanting the wine. Yeah, so you can not run of off that, that sediment if you're careful that way. Yeah, um, so these all of these wines, older Bordeaux's are going to throw a sediment. Uh, other wines that throw sediment and throw a lot of it are like port wines. Port wines throw an extremely large amount of sediment. And even some white wines can throw sediment if you age them. So it's just it's, yeah. it's the components that are in the wine that are breaking down. So for these wines, what we did was, or what I did was, I double decanted the wines. What that means is I poured out the clear wine and left the sediment in the, in the bottle. Let it. And then I poured the wine that was in the bottle... The, the, the sediment wine into another vessel and then I just washed out the bottle with you know with water and then I poured the wine the clear wine back into the bottle that's called double decanting it does a couple of things you don't have a bunch of decanters on the table and it's back in the bottle it's a, it's a much better looking package and it also helps it's it's you get the wine gets more air. I was about to say basically getting, what happens because yeah. yeah. you're you're moving it twice from one right. vessel to another. So it worked out. The wines showed it really well. Yeah, I mean, and, and so the uh, uh, the one thing I'll say about sort of putting air on these wines or you know give it some oxid uh, oxidation uh, is it really does help bring out. I mean, they've, they've been in the bottle a long time. I mean, in the case of the wines that we we tasted almost you know twenty years, you know twenty years at least. Um, so, you know, letting them breathe a little bit is kind of a good thing. It really exactly. brings out it brings out the the wines can be complex. There's a lot of stuff going on in the wine. Um, they are wines that that especially if you get a decent Bordeaux, when you hear people talk about you know uh, you know the long finish, the short finish, um, you know where it is on my palate, my mid palate, like you can actually. More so with Bordeaux from myself personally, I can pick out these types of things because of the complexity of wine. And I don't maybe that's because it's you know it's older and you know they were aged more, but you know, definitely some of the wine terminology I've heard before was making a little more sense to me. Yeah, more applicable. Because of the style of the wine. And of course if you think where the wine terminology came from, it came from drinking these types of wines. Yeah. Um so we, we opened up, uh, we decanted these wines, and before we tasted them, they were decanted and open to the air for about an hour. Yeah, and that, that's and a good rule of thumb is if you get a, uh, so I've been told, if you get a, uh, a, a bottle like this, you know, get, letting it uh, air for about an hour, you know, will really bring it to its full potential, so to speak. Yeah, and we spent some time tasting these. We had um, the five, and we actually analyzed the wines for about, it was close to two hours, I think. Yeah. So we, we really got to watch them evolve. And then you guys got to watch a, a few, watch them evolve even more because you took some weeks. Yeah, so it'll yeah. be interesting to know what those were like when you got home, and also what uh, your partner said That's right. <laughs> about you those can, wines. You can I imagine. can't wait to you hear. Can imagine. <laughs> so what what temperature should uh, Bordeaux red wine be served at, Bill? Um, I want to say somewhere in the high fifties. Yeah, so probably around fifty five. Yeah, yeah, fifty, fifty well, north, I, anything north of fifty-five, but below yeah. sixty in my mind. So somewhere in there. Yeah. So I, when I hear that temperature, to me, it just means you know cellar temperature. Yeah, you know, yeah. if um, it's too cold, it, the flavors are going to be muted. I was just about to say, yeah. and if it's too hot, you it, know, it's, some of the bitterness and the astringency yeah. of the wine might take over. And these wines are fickle that way, you know, more so than than 
and it may, fickle may not be the right word, but decanting it, making sure it's at the right temperature, will actually make a huge difference in these wines, more so than a lot of the other wines that I've had. They're really they're they're crafted, literally crafted to be handled this way. And this is a good you bring up a good point because it almost has to do with the snob thing. Because people are always oh why oh what is this with the decanting? Right. I got another right. vessel. What? It's just wine. What is the big deal? But I mean, really, to enjoy this wine, if it's been to, aged, you you, you gotta to you have to go stuff. through this process. And, and I'm not talking about the the Bordeaux table wine that you would go buy somewhere. I'm talking about a Bordeaux wine that you're going to pay north of thirty bucks for, um, uh, and probably north of a hundred. Um, in some instances, you know, you pay a hundred twenty bucks. Anything over, you know, I don't. In my mind, you pay anything over fifty bucks. You want to try to treat the wine with with some care. Yes. And decant it, make sure it's at the right temperature. It, that it's literally designed to, to be treated that way, to to reach its full potential and flavor and all that good stuff. Well, we've skipped along for a while now, and we've avoided that one big thing that everyone's talking about: the eighteen fifty five classification. Yeah. Why is it such a big deal? Well, so let's talk What's about big deal? well, let's talk about classifications in general. So okay. they're they're. There are actually four different classifications covering different parts of the region in Bordeaux. Um, and so there's the official wine classification of 1855, 1955, that's a classification of Saint Emilion, 59, the classification of Graves, and the Cru Bourgeois classification, which was, um, I think, came to status in 2003, but they overturned it, annulled it in 07. Um, so what Crazy wine laws. Well, so, you know, uh, it was actually, so the classification system came about by our good friend Napoleon Bonaparte, actually Napoleon III, um, not uh, Bonaparte, um, at an exposition. And uh, they ranked, the classification ranked the wine into five categories according to price. Um, So, and you can... Price of that day, you know, what were the price leaders of that day? Right. What did your, your wine bring? Yeah. And it seems like to me it also has to do with the growth. So there's like first growth wines. Those had the higher and they have prices. The, they have yeah. the highest the highest uh, classification within or highest rank within the classification. And uh, so the first growth wines from the 1855 classification are some of the Bordeaux wines that you've probably heard before: Chateau Lafitte, Rothschild. Chateau Margaux, Latour, Haute Brion, Mouton Rothschild. Those are all sort of in that 1855 classification. If you ever get an opportunity to try some of those chateaus, by all means do. And look in garage sales because you actually might find or estate sales somebody who's got some of this stuff cellared and may not know what they have. Mm. Um, just something to think about when you're out driving around on a Saturday. Yeah, you can look uh, in garage sales, or you can also look in your company's expense account. You know, yeah, well, there's it, always that. There's always the. Uh, there's always like that. Look. Hey, Bill, you know about wine, right? Yeah, what's my budget? Whenever and dinner. We, whenever we go out to events, they always hand me the wine list. Fabulous. Life is good. Yeah, well, you know, it's a smart move on their behalf, in my opinion. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit more about this classification. So it's heavily regulated, and they basically classify. You get classified as a chateau. And then your gross all matter too. First growth, second growth, third growth. Well, and it, it makes a big deal because of the price prices that these wines can command. And the, the reason I wanted to focus a little bit on uh, the left bank was because all of the wines on the left bank were the only ones that actually were in the classification. Right. As a matter of fact, I think there was only one wine... There was a wine from Grave, which is Aubryon, that made it into the classification. But other than that, all the other wines were up in the upper tier there on the left bank. So price-wise, this Chateau Lannison, we, we, we did a vertical so, on Chateau right. Lannison. So we'll talk about what we tasted, but we tasted one, uh, one Bordeaux from the same Chateau, and we tasted multiple years starting in 96. Yeah, and that's called a vertical. If you taste one consecutive year after the other, it's, it's called a vertical. So we did a mini vertical. Uh, but a bottle of 2000 Chateau Lannison sells for right around 32 to 36 bucks a bottle. And it's classified as a 
a it's an unclassified wine actually, and I believe it's it's loosely classified as a cru bourgeois. Right. So that was the old. So in 03, what they tried to, what it seems like to me, what they tried to do is bring everybody else into the fold. So they could. Who wasn't, who, you know, who was not classified in 1855 or in one of the other classifications. Yep. Um, and of course, some people didn't like that because they. It's highly political. <laughs> if you're not in there, you don't like it. Well, if, you, if you're not ranked in a certain area, a certain place on that list, you don't like it. But there's a good reason that you don't like it if you're not classified in that the Chateau Landison sells for 30 bucks, and a classified one in that region would go for? Well, uh, a 2000 Chateau Palmer uh, would cost you 325 bucks. That's the third growth. Right. It's just classified. Third growth, 300 bucks. Same region. Ten times probably, as much money. Probably next door. <laughs> well, not that far away, actually. And then um, a, 2000, a bottle of 2000 Chateau Mouton Rochelle, if you can find it, it's going to cost you $1,300 and wow. up. Wow. Wow. So that gives you a little... That's mind boggling. That lets you know why it's important to be right. classified. Right. The other, the other thing to take away from this is do not be intimidated by Bordeaux. Walking into a wine shop and seeing $1,300, oh, you know, I want a left bank Bordeaux, you know, you might get shown the $300 bottle of wine. It's like, what else you got from the region? Yeah. Or have you got anything that's not classified? Yeah. Um, and you can, you know, again, you're going to have to do a little bit of work or research, but it, it can yield some pretty spectacular results. I mean, the Chateau Landison is... I don't know, spectacular, I think, yeah. in terms of what's in the bottle. For the well, it, it helps to know the regions, like I mentioned earlier. That's the most important thing it, because there's 7,000 chateaus or 7,500 or 8,000. Yeah, you're not going to remember all those no, chateaus. No. I mean, no. And with the Internet, this is getting a little bit better, you know, in terms of, uh, I mean, you can certainly, you know, you know, type into a search engine, Google or whatever, you know, the chateau and find out where it, where it is, yeah. physically is. And that all, you know, oh, it's on the left bank, and oh, look, it's three doors down from Rothschild. Exactly, that, exactly. And it's $30. Maybe I should buy some of this. A lot of these places, you could literally throw a baseball and hit the next property, you know, and it might be, it, it might be unclassified, but, it doesn't. Know, it's, just, it's, yeah. It, it's really. It's the same really, land, the same. Now, there, that's, not, that's not to belittle the idea that there's. Not going to be big variations between property and property. There's a lot. The soil is important, it's, but it's also the character property. Who's making the wine? It's terroir, the vineyard, the it's blah blah blah. So yeah. much, you know. There's so much variability, as Al just said, from you know how the you know how the vines are cared for, how the you know, how the grapes are handled. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into that yeah. a, a, with any wine. And I I think I we mentioned Chateau Margaux. Yeah. I mean, Margaux is was a third growth and. Their wines for, I think, for a decade, they really were doing a pretty poor job with their wines. And then they got bought up by a, a different company. And then they started putting the, the time and the management and the resources into the property. And they brought the level of that wine up to much higher than even what it, a third growth is now. It's, 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 it's a top growth wine. So let's talk about how to read a Bordeaux yes. label. All right, there's your bottle. I got a bottle for you and a bottle for me. Yeah. Um, the first thing you'll see, uh, usually at the very top, is you're going to see uh, the name of the property. In this case, it's Chateau Lannison, L-A-N-E-S-A-N. But underneath is the most important thing it's that you're going to see. the region. Yeah, it tells you where region. it's from. Haut-Medoc. Yeah. Ha- yeah, and so, if it says Omedoc, that tells you that it's... Yeah, it's left bank wine. It's a left bank wine, and it's predominantly... Um, Cabernet Sauvignon. Cabernet Sauvignon. It's probably about 70% cab. So you don't even, if, if you look at a label, you can just disregard everything on the label. Just look for that regional, look where it's from. That's going to tell you the style of that wine, typically what the style is going to be and you know how it's going to taste. Versus when you pick up one of the wines from over here in the States, it's going to say Cabernet. That's how you know. You're not going to see that on the label. You might see it in a regional wine. You might see it in a Petit Chateau. But you're not going to see it on a, a Chateau wine. You're not going to see it, say, Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, the next thing is that's most important underneath that would be the vintage. And we talked about the right. vintage. That's pretty easy to see. Um, the Underneath that, you on this bottle, you see Delbo Bouteille, Bouteiller. 
and uh, I won't spell that, but those are the owners. Those are the people that actually own the property. And then underneath that, it says Mison Bouteille au Chateau. And what that means is the bottle is <laughs> a state bottle. It's a state bottle. State. This is an important point. Part of the classification is things have changed a little bit, but you have a, let's just say you have um, a property and it's 40 hectares. Well, one of the things that, one of the reasons that Bordeaux wine costs so much is that there's an unlimited supply. I mean, there's a limited supply, excuse me. They can't go out and buy grapes. You know, like a winery here, Chateau, uh, or, um, you know, a winery ABC down the road, they can make Cabernet from their vineyards there, and they can buy grapes from Monterey and bring them they in and put their name on them. them in from the Central Valley and you start You can't making. do that in it's, France. You can't do that yeah. in Bordeaux. It's against, it's against the, the rules the, in Bordeaux. Yeah, the regulations dictate dictate that. It dictate that it, it basically has to be from the property. So, so that, chateau. yeah, so that limiting factor is important because if you only make 10,000 cases, that's it. You have to, you know, that can be limiting in several ways. Yeah. You know, especially if you have to do some modifications on your property, purchase new equipment, you know, you're making the same amount of money. Part of the reason that the price is driven up is because of that lack of supply. Yeah, scarcity. We create scarcity. Um, the other, the other thing that I learned about getting an estate wine is that um, it, it's probably going to be um, cared for better in terms of its shipping. That's a good point. With these wines, I, I think I told you, um, these wines were a direct import, which is why I got them. And that's another thing to look for it's an, or ask about. Yeah, it's, And it's, why does that matter? Well, it matters in this case because you kind of alluded to it earlier with older Bordeaux. Hey, man, that bottle, you don't know where it's been. You don't know where it's been stored. You don't know how many different houses it's gone to. If it's a direct import, I know it's been at the Chateau the whole entire time, and then it came over. So it went from the Chateau directly shipped, and then distributed. Yeah, yeah it, went, it went directly or, to the retailer. Or it went right to the retailer, yeah. which so, is um, critical in my opinion. Especially with the older wines. Especially with the older wines. So uh, let's talk about, uh, I guess we should get on and talk about the actual wine. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, other, the other thing I'll tell you, this bottle, they were really nice. Um, they wrote a lot of great stuff. They gave you the complete breakdown of what's in the bottle on this, on this particular label. Do you know why? Um, no. The reason they did that is they've got a new person running the property. Uh, and um, her name is uh, Paz Espejo, and she's uh, kind of like a little marketing guru. She's you can go smart. online and check out her stuff, but she's, she's kind of uh, bringing this chateau into, into uh, the fold. Into the into new the, centuries. Into the fold, yeah. Because they, they really don't do any advertising. They didn't even have a web page, I don't think, before she came on board. I don't believe they even had a web page. Uh, so she's kind of like trying to bring them, bring them up, to, up to snuff. This is a great label. Yeah, in my opinion, it's really real. Broke down. It's clean. It, yeah, it succinctly broke down what's in the bottle. Well, look at that versus the 2003 label. Right. Look at that label. Yeah, which I is, mean, it's all in French. Yeah, well, not only is it all in French, the back, the back's just basically like where how it got how it got here. Yeah, imported yeah, from where. It almost looks like the. Uh, well, I, I guess that is their label. The other nice thing she she's done is she's she's telling me how long to age it. Yeah. 10 to 15 years, put this wine down. It's pretty nice. Pretty nice. So the Chateau is, um, Chateau Lannison, it, it's uh, not too far from Chateau Bechevelle, which a lot of people have probably heard of, which is a pretty, pretty famous um, property in France. They have, um, it's a cool looking house, and they have a, a museum that has a, uh, God, the museum has uh, horse-drawn carriages. They've got a tack room. The guy that used to own it was really into horses, so it's it's kind of a it's, it's you can go there, taste the wines, and uh, take a trip through the museum. <laughs> uh, I think we already covered uh, what happened with these guys uh, back in 1855. The owner at that time was um, what was his name? It was uh, uh, Jean, oh Louis Delbo, and he was very prideful. And when it came time to send samples for the Bordeaux Expo- Exposition, 
he decided not to do that because he he didn't he wasn't really having any problems selling his wine, so he didn't even submit any samples, and um, actually they got left off. And as Oops. we just mentioned with the prices there, his his heirs since then are probably like, "What's up with that, man?" Oops. <laughs> Because literally, um, their class at that point of where they were, they probably would have been ranked a third or a fourth growth. So, hey. That's, you know. Stuff happens. Yeah. So, the Chateau, it was built uh, by us uh, in uh, Scottish uh, baronial style in 1878. It has a nice aviary type of thing. It's kind of, it's, it's pretty it's cool, cool looking. Thing it's there. a cool yeah. looking uh, Chateau. And... The makeup of the wines typically is 60% Cabernet, 35% Merlot, 4% Petit Verdot, and 1% Cabernet Franc. Of course, it varies from year to year. Um, they produce 18,300 cases year in, year out. They do have a second wine, which has become a very big thing in Bordeaux over the years. Typically, second. Yeah, it's called um, Le Caleche de Lanasson. I'm not sure what Caleche You know what's is. interesting is there's probably, I bet you those wines are actually quite interesting because the winemakers can kind of, you know, there's probably some really interesting wines in there because they can probably, you know, do stuff they don't normally. Yeah, and you do get a, a, an idea of what the house style is like. Yeah. So so Chateau Lanasson is it's really known for its older vintages and the capacity of the wine to age well, which you just alluded to on yeah. the label there. And it's a favorite of people that like old school Bordeaux. So if you like, I mean, I have I have a taste for old school Bordeaux because that's what I grew up really that's learning. That's what you learned. And if you have a taste for old school Bordeaux, you should definitely find some of these wines and just you know. So try the value. It out. So the, the the thing that I would say about that is is like this is a great wine that will give you an idea of what good Bordeaux, especially if it's aged, you know, um, what good Bordeaux will taste like. Yeah, very good idea. Yeah, it's it's very true to type. All right, so let's talk about the the wine and what was in the glass. So, um, you know, we started off with a '96. I I just want to say, sort of, I found what I looked up in terms of Bordeaux and its sort of flavor profile. I found consistently through all of these tastings, and and really, um, yeah, I mean, we can go wine by wine. What I found is is that sort of as the wine got older, with the exception of one year. The flavor profiles were more revealed in the older wines than the younger wines. The, uh, the, the older wines were also more, you know, I guess more balanced um, and, and sort of uh, uh, just easier in terms of sort of making available what's there. I think the big surprise for me was how it was how balanced, how uh, rounded the wines were almost consistently across the entire vertical. Um, and the 98 was this just lush, beautiful wine. Um, it was amazing. It was an amazing wine. So you like the 98? Was that? I think the 98 was the, yeah, the 90, yeah. the 90. So what I remember is the 96 and the 98 were my two top two. Okay. Um, then the 2000. Interestingly enough, and then the ninety nine and uh, ninety seven, then the ninety nine. God, it's weird. We almost mirrored there because I picked uh, I picked the ninety eight as a top wine. Also, um, that, that nice earthy nose. It, um, it, yeah, go ahead. I, just black fruit and just a, a nice velvety texture. It, yeah, it, it's when you it. When you had it in your mouth, it was so. First of all, you know, I, when I taste Bordeaux, I usually immediately can pick out the chalk gravel piece of this uh, terroir. I don't know what it is, but I'm just like, that's freaking French wine. And I'm usually pretty good. I'm usually able to personally pick that out. That 98 was so, you know, it had a little bit of that, but it wasn't as prominent as it normally was for me. And it was just so, it was lush. Yeah. It was. It was, uh, yeah, it was in a, it was just this like lush balanced and it's usually tannic. It's kind of tannic, especially if you get them younger, they can be very tannic. None of these wines had that. They, there were tannins there, but they weren't as pronounced as they normally were. I was surprised by the whole sort of vertical in terms of what, you know, uh, you know, what was going on with the Bordeaux. And I think the lesson for me out of this is got to age these things. They yeah. really... To, they're not joking. 
Yeah, you do have to put some age on these wines. Yeah, they're For, not joking. You got to let the acidity and the, and the tannin and let, let the wines mellow out. Right. You really do. Yeah, so the, the 98, uh, also the nose on it was really nice with the, there was a little florality yep. that was going on there yep. with the lavender and roses. It, it, it was just, it, it, it was, there was a lot going on with yeah. that wine. And it was it was one of the wines that uh, one of the people we tasted with was talking about sort of the mid palate, and yeah. back palate. When he said that, I was like, "Yeah, oh yeah, I can pick all that stuff out." I mean, it was I could I could see it, and you could definitely tell about you know the finish. Just a really, I mean, if you if you're gonna go try one bottle, find the '98 Landison and decant it properly, and you know, I think you'll be amazed. Even well, better if you can get a couple of them. Yeah, all of us picked this as a um, the number one wine. Right, Jason, we all picked yeah. it as number one wine. Uh, by the way, you can get these wines at KNL KNL Wines. Uh, that's a big uh, board big supplier. Yeah, and they and they're online. They're yeah. online. You KL can wines probably online. buy this. And they're not going to have these wines for very long. We'll try to get this podcast out as quickly as possible. Um, these wines are going to go fast because I'm going to order some more of this 98 myself. <laughs> it's $20 a bottle. I mean, that is a smoking, it's a steal. It's a smoking steal. good deal. It's a steal. And so, what, else, what you know, in terms of Bordeaux and what, what you're supposed to taste, so, you know, rules of thumb for always been, you know, sort of like black, you know, blackberry fruits. Yep. You know, are in that there. Black currant, yeah. You know, black currant. Uh, you know those types of uh, fruits. You mentioned the cedar box. Uh, you know, cedar, licorice, mm-hmm. um, well, mushroom kind of sometimes. Yep. Once in a while, um, I it's got earthy flavors. It, kinda, yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely more earthy. Uh, also, you know, always described as big wine, big wine. You know, I hear that a lot, and they are. There's a lot, and I think what that what people are referring to there is it. It's got a it packs a punch in terms of what's going on when you taste it. And it's got a long finish. The other thing that I, the '98, um, uh, I I didn't bring any '98 home for my wife to try. I think she would have actually, if there was one Bordeaux she might like, it would have been that wine because it was almost fruit forward a little bit when you when you got it in your mouth and as you as you tasted it. Um, more almost more so in the, and I think that just comes in terms of how the wine got balanced. From its aging, but it was it was pretty it was a pretty amazing wine. Was I think, she slurping them down? Or? So uh, you know, I think that you know it's not her style of wine. No. You know, she likes a fruit forward wine. Um, obviously, you know, like high end pinots are her favorite wine. Um, she does not. I, she you know just tasting it with uh, just tasting it. She didn't want any dry, dusty cabernet yeah. on her palate. No, not at all. <laughs> um, uh, however, with food, things changed a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so we had blue cheese in the house. So we had blue cheese and rosemary crackers that actually paired really well with that. And then we had some beef later on that night. And of course this stuff's just, you know, it's That's like, right in the, right it's in the what zone. it's designed to do. It's Cabernet. I mean, you know, if you, you know, I know, I know this wine from Cabernet cause I drank Cabernet was one of the first wines that I got introduced to in California. So I know Cabernet. Um, the other, the other thing that I always, do you remember that there was a cologne English leather? Do you remember English that leather? There was an old cologne. I just remember high karate. Yeah, it was all around high karate and old spice, and I think there was an English leather. It's got a little sandalwood mm-hmm. in it, and I, you know, you can pick some of that up too. I was getting a little hint of that in some of this, just a little scotch. Yeah. I'm like what's that? And that kind of leather smell yeah. would come through in some of, of this stuff for me. Well, these wines are big. I mean, the 2000, you know, just to skip way ahead, the 2000 was obviously the, the strongest wine. It was, uh, you know, reported to be, a, you know, a top vintage. But, I mean, I ranked it in the middle of the pack, man. Yeah. Because I, it was it was kind of one-dimensional. I would say six years from now, that might change. It was interesting to note the alcohol on that wine. It just seems like the alcohol was really, really prevalent right. up front. And in a wine speak... The wine to me appeared a bit hot. That means the alcohol kind of higher alcohol content. takes over and is kind of dominant as far as uh, when you when you actually when you smell, smell it, you wine. smell alcohol. You, yeah. you can just get that like you can get the fumes kind of coming off of it. That's what I, I'm always reminded. So, did you notice on those bottles also over the years? Did you notice how the alcohol level level creeped up? Like, yeah. What's the alcohol? Yeah, in it's thirteen seven. It's thirteen seven on that. 
on this 2003, uh, which is, we didn't taste the 2003. I just have it here. I'm going to try it later. It's 14. But, 14. but the alcohol on this is 13. Yeah. And huh? the reason it's 13 is 2003. That was that god-awful uh, heat wave they had. Uh, so it cooked everything. Yeah. So, yeah. and it, it was a good vintage. You know, it's rated as a, as a really good vintage, but you have to be careful with vintages like that because some of the wines can have little plumy flavors. Because what happens is one of the reasons, another, you know, all of this stuff kind of comes back to practicality. And the reason that these guys have the grapes planted in those vineyards and they have different types of grapes planted in the same parcels and different, you know, so near to each other, it's practically you can't bring all the grapes in at once during the harvest. So these grapes all mature at different times. So, for example, the Merlot ripens earlier than Cabernet. It blooms earlier, it ripens earlier. So you bring in your Merlot, and then you got time to process the wine, make it in the cellar, and then you bring then in you your Cabernet, it. and then you got time to process that, and then you bring in your Petit Verdot, which, you know, is a little bit later on the on the bloom cycle. So all of this is by design, and it's also to protect them from, like, not making any money. Right. If you had all Cabernet planted, and then one year... The weather wasn't oh, good be, for Cabernet, you'd be out of business. It would not be good for you. Yeah, so that's that's part of the reason that this, these blends exist. So where do we go from here, man? We've uh, boy, it was. Uh, I apologize because it was a, a lot going no, on here, but so, it's not so bad. I, you know, we're gonna do. We'll do some right bank, maybe. Yeah, we're gonna do right bank. We'll do right bank. We'll continue talking about Bordeaux. The other thing I wanna I wanna say about the uh, uh, about the vertical is. Definitely consistency in terms of sort of the style and the flavor profile throughout the vertical, um, and it was almost sort of like a like a um, snapshot of time. Yeah, and what what really came out was sort of the the uh, you know the flavors were all there, but was sort of all of the other things around the the wine, the balance, the acid, the tannins. That's where I was getting the variability, a li- and some of the flavors and stuff, but more so around sort of, you know, the uh, the characteristics of the wine and it, in its composition more uh, uh, more so than sort of what it's uh, you know what it tasted like from like you know sandalwood or leather you know those flavor descriptors is more you know as it got younger um, it was sort of more or less balanced tannins were more pronounced and I just wonder if that's just you know, um, you know, the aging, you know, so I was picking up and sort of the aging mm-hmm. there. And then the other thing is, is, you know, 98 was sort of middle of the pack. Everybody ranked at the first that in my mind is showing sort of like, that was a good year. You know, was that a good fruit year or was that just a year that the winemaker was on and his blend was like, awesome. I, I think it was a little you know? bit of both because I mean, it was, all a, sta- all of these- it was a standout. Yeah. I mean, these things were very sim. What I'm trying to say is these things were very similar, Yeah. but this one was like, clearly like order of magnitude different and, and better and that shows you the variability and that also brings up kind of almost a, a you know a way that you can save yourself a, a ton of coin yeah you, mean, you really have to try these wines i mean the 2000 was the most expensive wine of all of these and it was, it was the, like uh you know 50 percent more than all the and other it bottles was the one it was the one we and we, it was a, a lesser bottle yeah. um to be fair Maybe we're opening a little bit early. Yep. These wines need a little longer window yeah. to lay down. But if you're looking for uh, Bordeaux and it's a great vintage, like right now the great vintages out are 2009, 2010, very, very good vintages. Try some of these lesser wines, these unranked wines. You get yeah, you're gonna value. find some. You're gonna find some awesome. Wine. You're gonna get great value. Well, heck, go go find go if, if you can grab a bottle of the 98 Landison. Yeah, try with Jake. Do yourself a favor, spend it, you know, 20, 30 bucks and buy it. You'll yeah. be surprised. 20 bucks. 20 bucks, man. Can't, Come on. You, you can't, can't afford beat, not to buy. <laughs> you can't beat that. You, you got to try it. Case, man. You got to You got to try it. You got to try it. I would, I would get it. Actually, I'd get a couple. I'd get the 98 and I'd get the 96. I like the 96 yeah. a lot. The, the 99, I wasn't very uh, happy with. And uh, I really did not like the 97. It was ninety seven. Was all right. Ninety seven to two thousand were shoulder shrugging. Nah, eh, all right. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like that at all. So, but but uh, our other reviewer, uh, he 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 ranked the two thousand in the same 
zone as we did. And uh, he didn't like the 97 either. He, uh, that's interesting to note. Yeah, the 97 was... was, was all right. It was a little bit green and kind of bitter, on the, on the, especially on the end. That sounds but appetizing. It, yeah, <laughs> not so good. Green. So we'll do, um, we'll do uh, some uh, right, right bank, bank wines. So we'll do, do uh, right Mer- Merlot-dominated wines. Yep. All right, well, that's our next thing. This has been a pretty good... Uh, this has been a great... It's been very educational for me personally, so I'm looking forward to doing more. I'm looking forward to drinking some more Bordeaux. Right on. All right. Well, hey, everybody, thanks so much for coming, and uh, thanks for listening to us. We appreciate it. Leave thanks for room. all the love on the... Um, we've got a few more reviews on uh, yeah. iTunes, which is awesome. Thank you. Um, I, I'll bet slowly we are going to get the rest of the old podcasts up on the new site. Oh, I know. Um, I'm actually going to have... Uh, I'm going to have some time to take a vacation, and that's for me, so I'll have some time to get that stuff. you have some time to do some work? Yes. All right, sounds good. All right, thank you, everybody.